the Sunday Sermons Podcast. You know, in countries where they still use elephants as transportation and even as heavy moving lifting equipment like bulldozers, one of the strange things that you'll still see is these same elephants that have been uprooting fully grown trees all day long. At the end of the day, they'll tie a little string around their back leg and tie them to a very small tree or just about anything, and the elephants will stay there. It's like it actually could trap them. And it's not because it actually holds them, it's because they've been trained to believe a lie. They believe they're trapped because when they first catch the little baby elephants and start training them every day, they put a huge chain around their back leg that they can't possibly pull out. They, they, it's way bigger than even that strong baby elephant does. And then as they get older, they make the chains smaller and smaller. And eventually just all it takes is just a tiny little tug on that one same back leg and they feel trapped. That's how lies work. That's how important it is that we speak the truth to one another. Can you imagine if other elephants could talk? Free elephants are walking by and they go, are you kidding me right now? You're going to, you're tied to a twig. Like, what are you doing? But, but, but it's, there's power in truth and there's so much power in lies that we have to speak the truth to one another. That's what we focused on last week. And today we continue this journey uh, trying to look at exactly what God tells us he wants us to do as fellow believers, how we treat each other. I'd like you, if you would, again, to say the Greek word alelon with me. Say it out loud. Alelon. Very good. And that one word means so much. Uh, it means one another or each other or to one another, but it also it implies in the original language a sense of belonging or identity. This is how we treat the other people on our team, the other people in our family. These, this is how we treat the people we have chosen to do life with. And in this case, it's the body of Christ. So we're looking, every single thing we're looking here is specifically in the scriptures from Jesus himself or several other New Testament writers that literally say, this is how you treat fellow Christians. And just a quick heads up, the next series after this is how we collectively treat the rest of the world. It's not that we don't care about that. We only care about each other. But we start here. It's like ripples in a pool. All right. So enough preamble. Let's just jump right in. The first thing that we are looking at that we have to do together is this. Say it with me. We build one another up. One more time. Say it like you mean it. We build one another up. See, in any healthy relationship, there's always going to be grace and forgiveness, mercy, patience. There has to be because none of us, none of us human beings are perfect, saved or not saved. Amen? Can we get this? None of us is perfect. But at the same time, we're supposed to be growing. To just always, always accept and always, always forgive and not expect any change at all is not true love. And it's certainly not the love that's described in the scriptures of how we treat one another. Colossians 3, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
Ephesians 4, we looked at some of this last week, where it all builds on itself. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Several weeks ago, we spent several weeks in a row, and at the end of that each service, we would say together Romans 12, 1 through 2. I don't know what version you memorized it in, but it basically says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this dark world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to discern God's good and perfect will. Something's changed because of what we do every day. How we think changes, our mind changes, our attitude changes, our paradigm, our worldview changes. If you try to work out, if you try to build your body, some exercises obviously focus on certain ones. This is going to go for bicep, and there's all kinds of other ones. You don't need to see me work out. But what I'd like you to notice is this. Just for me to pick this thing up or to stand here and do this, my whole body is compensating. My little toes are involved, helping me balance. My brain is talking to the rest of my body. I'm not trying to, but my, my arm and my hand is compensating for what this one's doing. We have to work together. If any of us don't, it, we can't. But when we do, little by little, we build up. We get stronger. This weight used to be hard for me. This is absolutely nothing now, and it's probably nothing to most of you, honestly. This isn't that heavy of a weight. But the point is, we build up. Are we tracking so far? And we work together to build up. Even if one part is doing a little bit more than the rest, everybody has to be part of this building process. Paul says, for just as each one of us has one body, this is the same passage, the same part where we just talked about where we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. That sounds like a solo sport, but it's not. This is the next couple verses. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I like the way that C.S. Lewis says it. I like the way he says several things. I'm quoting him three times today. So, yeah, I hope you like C.S. Lewis, but he says, love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. Stern because it actually cares enough to help the other person grow. Splendid because that's the only thing that actually works. Paul says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
I love that reminder. God's grace comes in several forms. One is forgiveness. One is the offer of salvation in a relationship with him in the first place that we never could earn on our own. But it's also God's grace that gives us gifts, that gives us opportunities, that gives us resources that we can use to serve others, that gives us chances like this, chances in smaller groups, chances in our homes, in our families, in coffee shops, like later on today, where we can actually intentionally bless others with what he's given to us. We're here to build each other up. Here's the next, second thing. It ties in, goes, just builds on this. Let's say it together. We encourage one another. We encourage one another. If you're working out in a gym, you're going to have moments where it does get hard. And it really does help to have somebody else going, get one more. Come on, get one more. How many have ever experienced this? Okay. And you're like, you, you don't think you can. And if you were all alone, you'd go, forget that. Right? But there's other people watching, even people that don't know you, and there's one friend right next to you. Go, come on, come on. You're like, ah! And your little toes really get into it. You know what I'm saying? Like every part of you is like, come on, this hand's like, yeah! Here we go. Encouragement makes a huge difference. It's one of the most important things that we do. And it's also one of the few places that we actually really experience true joy. True fulfillment. I don't know how many years you've spent trying this or if even not even five minutes. Some people are amazingly not selfish. But you probably experience this being human beings. Looks like everybody here is a human being. We tend to try to go through life trying to get other people to meet our needs. We tend to form relationships and choose churches and whatever else trying to, to be, find something that we like. Something that makes us feel good. But over time, one of the things that God transforms in us, if we do it right, if we get it right, if we understand it right, if we are truly by him, by his grace transformed, we we start to realize the real joy, the real fulfillment is when we're not focused on ourselves at all. The times that we feel best is when we're trying to help somebody else get stronger. Help somebody else make it through a hard time. The person who's the personal trainer often has more fun than the person working out. I once heard a story, actually, I looked it up this week and didn't realize there's a bunch of versions of it. You've probably heard a version about encouragement. And it's, it's equal parts encouraging and really disturbing. Let me just share how, the version that I know, okay? There's two guys who are in a hospital room together. One of them is right next to a window and the other one's out in the middle. The guy that's out in the middle, he's, whatever's wrong with him, he can't move. They can't even move his bed up and down. He's always flat. The guy next to the window, every day they come in and crank his bed up a little bit. He, he, he's right next to the window. The, the guy that's out there flat gets really jealous and really angry. He starts complaining about it. That's not fair. Why do you get a window? Why do you get to be lifted up and look out the window every day? And one guy, the guy just starts telling him, he goes, well, I wish you could look out this window because man, it's beautiful. There's this tree out there and there's some kids playing underneath. He starts describing this beautiful scenery and this beautiful, peaceful stuff. And it really does encourage the guy and make him feel better. And then one day the guy by the window dies. And the guy out in the middle says, 
can I have his bed? And they said, well, I guess so. And you are a little better. Maybe we can crank your bed up a little bit once or twice nowadays. So finally, the day comes. They move his bed. He gets over there. They crank the bed up. He looks out the window, and it's one of those windows that just looks over out over the flat roof of the hospital. There's nothing out there. And he goes, what in the world? I thought it was all this beautiful stuff out there. And they said, where'd you get that idea? He said, well, the guy that was in this bed earlier. And they said, don't you know he was blind? And I think the point of that story is we should always encourage people even if they don't have bad, even if they have bad attitudes. And I agree with that. But when I heard that, the first time I was like, so you mean the guy by the window is a liar? Like the stuff he was telling him wasn't even true? That's not encouragement. That's not helpful. It, it, it might make somebody feel better to tell them lies, but that's not encouragement. That's not speaking the truth in love. That's not trying to actually help somebody feel better. I don't, I don't think that Sylvester Stallone probably could teach Sunday school or anything here. I'm not sure what he believes about everything. But one of the things he says in one of the Rocky movies, this is truth. This is encouragement. This is real. The world will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. Nobody's going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. That's truth. That's real. That helps somebody go, yeah, this hurts right now, but I'm going to get through it. This hurts right now, but my fear and my doubt and my anger and all these other things, how tired I am right now, how frustrated I am, is not going to be what drives the rest of my story. I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to put my faith and my energy in God and the people I know care the most about me and what I know to be true. I'm going to stay the course. And that is how winning is done. That's encouragement even if it's not all rosy and sweet. In Hebrews, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly, to the very end. Another great passage where Paul specifically uses a lay loan a lot. He's very clearly talking to the body of Christ. It's 1 Thessalonians 5. And that passage opens up where he's saying, listen, this is how we live. And the reason is because we're living in anticipation of the day of the Lord. Remember those symbols, the king's witness symbols with the, he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, he's coming back. And we live in between the last two. That's why we treat each other differently than the rest of the world does. Because that's where we live. That's who we are. We're the ones getting everything ready for him to return. And Paul says in light of all of that, that it's important that we live as people who live in the day, not in the night. It's a beautiful passage. You should read the whole thing. But he, he, it, what I love for you to see this morning, it's the same 
idea that he uses several other times, one of which we looked at last week, several of which we'll keep looking at for the next several weeks. But he says, most of the stuff that's good happens in the day. If you're still out running around at 2 a.m., it's probably not good. The stuff that is in the daylight and out in the light that's visible, everybody can see it, you tend to behave better. If you're hiding, if, the, if it's dark, if nobody's watching, you might not behave quite as well. Live as people in the daytime. It's very similar to what he says in this same passage. Verse 6, he says, So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Several other passages, Paul walks through that idea. Don't be drunk. Don't be inebriated by other things. Don't numb yourself. Don't cut yourself off from what's real. Don't just numb your pain. Be aware of what's going on. Be filled with the spirit of God himself. Find the power to get through, the power to deal with what you're dealing with, the power to face it by the spirit of God in you and his people around you. Uh, the passage we looked at last, last week, he used the words sensitivity and sensuality. And again, sensitivity in this case, it's not talking about being easily offended. It's being very aware, fully present of what's going on. You're focused on what needs to be happening. You're focused on other people and on what's right and what's wrong no matter how you feel. Sensuality, on the other hand, is where it's just all about how it feels or smells or looks to you. And how do we do this? How do we live this way? How do we stay sensitive and not sensual? How do we? The best way is to do it together. It may look or feel like You're the only person doing it at the time. But that's why we have these relationships. That's why we have this belonging, this identity as the people of God, as the sheep of the good shepherd, as the children of God, as the body of Christ. Because we're designed to do this thing together. Same passage as starts out, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then it shows clearly to be a team sport. It gets even clearer as the passage goes on. Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to a lelon. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor a lelon. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Notice the real, true, genuine encouragement here. He's not saying be joyful because you'll always have everything you want right when you want it. It's the opposite of that. He says be joyful in, you can do this, it's right there. Be joyful in, yes, you're waiting on something. Be patient in, oh, 
I would rather him say, be patient. God's going to wipe away all the stuff that gives you pain and you'll never have pain again. That's not what he's saying. He's being honest. He's being real. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer regardless. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Guess what? Some of the Lord's people are going to be in need. And some of the Lord's people are going to have extra and be able to share with them if they're sensitive, if their eyes are wide open, if they're finding their identity and their sense of belonging and that they are part of a body. Practice hospitality, fellowship. Later he says, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Again, there's the family of God. First Thessalonians, he says, therefore, both of the things we just looked at. He repeats them both in this one verse. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. We're about to look at the last big one. This is actually the big one. These other ones kind of all intertwine and focus on this last one. But let me just say one more time, like he did to the Thessalonians, I see us doing this. This is not a sermon about how terrible we are to each other and how we all need to repent. By and large, we're getting this. But imagine, imagine if we really got it. Imagine if it was 100% every single one of us. This is how we treat our family. This is how we treat our spouse. This is how we treat our friends. This is how we treat our Sunday school class and our small group. This is how we teach the church. And then eventually it becomes easy. It becomes automatic. Then we start treating everybody else better than anybody else ever treats them too because we practiced on each other. This is the dream that God has. So the third one, the big one is this. Let's say it together. We motivate one another. One more time. We motivate one another. See, if, if you're prepared well, if you've trained well for something, you're not just full of potential. You're not just full of confidence. You're ready to actually do something. If you learn how to play an instrument or how to play a sport, how, how boring that would be if you never actually played any songs or you never actually played any games. If you learn how, go to school and learn how to fix cars and you never fix cars, what in the world? You learn how to dance, you learn how to knit, you learn, I don't care what it is, you, and you never actually do the thing, what's the point? Motivation acknowledges that we actually accomplish God's will on earth. That's what we're here to do. We don't just build up so that we just are stronger. We build up so that we're strong enough to lift stuff that matters. One of my favorite exercises in the gym is get the biggest, heaviest dumbbell that I can barely pick up and just pick up two of them and walk back and forth. It looks stupid. But you know what it makes it really easy to do later? Carry suitcases. (laughs) Another one I really like to do is take something heavy, dumbbells or one of those big weighted balls and just put it up in the air and put it back down on the ground. Put it up, put it back down. Looks dumb. If you watch me doing it, please just don't watch. I'd, I'd be embarrassed, okay? No pointing, no laughing. Please don't if you're ever in the gym. But you know what makes it really easy to do? 
pick something up, put it on a shelf somewhere, and go on with life. That's the point. That's why we build up. That's why the other person's encouraging. You can do it. You can get, get one more ball up on the shelf. Come on, come on, come on. Because it prepares you to do something that actually matters in real life. Over the Christmas season, we looked at the shepherd several times. I love this perfect example. I'll say it one more time. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told about. So they hurried off. They saw the baby and then they told everybody about it. That's what it looks like. That's what motivation looks like. In Hebrews, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This, this verse has used, been used many times by pastors to say, hey, you really should keep coming to church. And it's not, not what it says. It, that is embedded in there. But what I'd love for you to see this morning is simply this. That's really not the point. The point is not showing up. But the point of working out is not showing up at the gym. It's getting stronger, building your body so that you can live differently, feel differently, look differently, be able to do things you couldn't do before. And the same thing, that's why. We don't give up meeting together because what we're doing here is encouraging each other. What we're doing here is accessing the encouragement directly from God's word, directly from God's actions toward us. We are remembering together. It's a team sport. And we do it not because we're going to impress God by our perfect attendance record, but because this is what keeps us going. And faith is always tied into action. Here's two more C.S. Lewis ones. Ready? Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I just, I, I just he says it so clearly, but I just, I just got to say, listen, if we ever settle for just, well, all God really wants for me is to show up at church sometimes. We've missed the whole point of everything that he ever died and rose and ascended and is coming back to do. So much more than that. Second C.S. Lewis, one, third one overall, right next to this. Here we go. When Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. And we dare not do that. One of my favorite, excuse me, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament in Judges chapter four and five is of the the female judge, Deborah. Um, And she encourages this guy, Barak. Uh, she does it by using her gifts. First off, she, she's a prophet. God speaks to her and gives her messages to tell other people. God gives her a message to tell this guy named Barak, who was a warrior. And so she goes to him and she says, God wants you to lead the armies and go deliver us from this guy named Sisera. Well, Barak is, I don't, I don't know the whole story, but what it says in there, I don't know his backstory, but what it clearly says is he says, I'm not doing it unless you come with me. Well, guess what she did? 
She went with him. She knew that her job was not just to say the truth to him, not just to deliver the message, but to get the thing done. And so she went with him. And later in Hebrews uh, 11 and 12, that big passage about all the, the people of faith in the Old Testament and how we can take encouragement and motivation from their example. Somehow or another, Deborah's not in there, but Barak is. I don't get that at all. But the fact that he's in there is because of Deborah. She motivated him to lead the armies. And that's how it works. Got one more story for you and then we're gonna totally wrap this thing up. I, 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 don't, I don't know if this is true or not. I've been told it was, but I don't know. It doesn't matter. It speaks truth. So hear it. Once a young girl was really struggling with a lot of things in life and she went to her mother and she's crying and she said, Mom, I just don't understand why does life have to be so hard? What am I possibly ever gonna be able to do about it? And her mom says, just come to the kitchen for a little bit. She doesn't say anything for a while. She just listens. But while she listens, she puts on three pots of water. And in one pot, she puts a potato. In another one, she puts a a raw egg. And in another one, she puts in coffee grounds and uses a filter. And then she boils the water in all three. And she just lets her daughter talk. She just listens. She doesn't lecture, just talk. And then after a little bit, she gets the potato and she gets the egg and she pours a cup of coffee. And her daughter goes, what in the world are you doing? And she said, well, let me tell you something. While you've been talking, every, all three things I just put on the stove here, all three things face boiling water. Every single one of them face boiling water. But the potato used to be hard. And you know what? It's a lot softer now. Sometimes when we go through hard times, It's because God knows we need to get softer. He allows that thing to happen because it's going to make us softer. And look at this egg. The egg is way tougher. She starts peeling it. She goes, look at this. It's way tougher than it used to be. It used to just run everywhere. Now it's, it's tough. Sometimes God lets stuff happen so that we get tougher. But you know what his real dream is? She takes a sip of the coffee. She goes, the coffee grounds... Those seeds, those, those beans got roasted, they got ground up, and then they got boiled. But guess what? They changed the water. That boiling water is not just boiling water anymore, it's coffee. That's how God wants his people to really be. Maybe it's just because I like coffee so much, but that made a lot of sense to me. I hope that makes sense to you. And much more, I hope that it encourages you this morning because what I'm trying to do here is build you up and not just build you up, but encourage you to build one another up daily. Figure out a way to do that. There's space on the note, note things. You've all got phones. You've got arms you could write on. I don't care what you got to do, but this is, this is who we are. This is what we do. Encourage one another daily. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Motivate one another. Because the whole point here is we build ourselves up, we encourage one another to accomplish God's will together. And that's possible. It's possible. You just have one simple question to ask yourself this morning. We're going to stand, we're going to sing one more song. This is a chance to make a decision if you have one. All I'm asking you to ask yourself this morning right now is, what is God calling you to actually do?
I've, I've encouraged you. I've done my best to build you up and motivate you. But the point is what you do about it. Not just here right now, but after you leave today. And the rest of this week and the rest of your life, what are you going to do? But if he's telling you to do something right here, right now, do it while the song's playing. Let's stand, let's sing to God.